Where does it go? Where does it go? All of that cast off junk, where does it go? Welcome to Where Does It Go, a podcast about the life cycles of and then curious endings of various things and people. I'm Emily. I'm Sarah. And today, Sarah, I'm going to talk to you about outmoded diseases. Ooh. Okay. I I have in my notes ye olde diseases. Uh, Ye olde. (laughs) So diseases, I'd like to talk about diseases and disorders and infections and things that have different names now or different understanding or are, you know, vaccine preventable. A lot of ye olde diseases that we're not super familiar with nowadays are vaccine preventable, but... A lot of them are coming back because people are refusing to vaccinate themselves or their children. Some vaccine-preventable diseases include measles, mumps, rubella, diphtheria, pertussis, rotavirus, chickenpox, shingles, tetanus, flu, polio, TB, and hepatitis. You people! Jeez, Louise! Right? Don't bring that stuff back! Anyway, go ahead, sorry. (laughs) Oh, it's fine. It's, I mean, none of this is, I think a lot of people forget or don't know how bad this stuff can be. Uh, and then there's bacterial meningitis, HPV, and rabies. Rabies is a vaccine-preventable disease, uh, but it's not a disease that people tend to be exposed to a lot. So unless you are in a career where you would be exposed, it's not particularly needful to get post or pre-exposure prophylaxis. Uh And I'm not going to talk about what vaccines do because we can do a separate episode on vaccines because they are complicated. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. They function differently depending on the disease or disorder they're treating and the method of vaccination and all this stuff. There are some oral vaccines. There are some inhaled. There are a lot that are injected. But ultimately, what vaccines tend to do is either prevent the transmission of a disease into or the sort of reception of a disease into your system so that it becomes infectious, or it will reduce symptom severity. I think a lot of people who argue about vaccines are like, well, but so-and-so got the flu after they got the flu shot. And it's, yeah, they might have, maybe. Uh, but how were the symptoms compared to the person that died in the hospital from the flu? Just something to think or about. Or they might have gotten a different flu. I mean, there are different varieties of the flu, It just depends on what vaccine you got. Exactly. So vaccinations, vaccines, and how they function and what they've done for us and what they haven't done for us is very complicated and deserves its own episode. And this one is going to be more like, let's talk about kind of the funny names people had for different things. Uh, So a lot of outmoded or ye olde diseases were either inaccurately understood and thus inaccurately named, they were generalized, so a lot of things would be under one umbrella, or it was things that would seem whimsical now, or names for no, you know, names for things like homesickness was considered a disease. And we have a better understanding now of both mental illness, which might have been put under the umbrella of homesickness or just better understanding of like how people's emotional attachments to places function. So 
then there's names for known medical phenomena that are more symptoms than diseases. So a lot of things would be a name for a disease at the time, but are now known better as a symptom of something. Oh, interesting. So here, it's this is actually an excellent example. A dropsy or anasarca uh, were two different names for edema. And edema is fluid buildup and swelling. And mm -hmm. that's a symptom of a ton of things. Right. And so... Anytime you have heart failure, you have kidney issues, you have, you've received IV fluids, anything like that, you can have edema or swelling. Pregnancy has potential for edema. And that's not an indication that you have pregnancy and dropsy. It's just a symptom. So I, I guess we'll turn this into a game because why not? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you the name of something. And you'll tell me, you'll guess what it is. Oh, fun. Okay, yeah. Okay, so how about horrors or gym jams? Gym jams or horrors. Yeah, they're both for the same. Like seizures, maybe? Close. It's delirium tremens. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> A good beer, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Or la grip? Uh, la grip. Uh, I knew what this was, but I don't remember now. It was like it's like a cough, maybe. Close. It's the flu. Okay. These ones I like. They'd be good names for like some little animal character in a show. But Quincy or Squinzy. Squinzy. I don't know diarrhea. Tonsillitis. Oh, okay. I was way off. <laughs> I got some squinzy today. <laughs> There's things like apoplexy. Oh, oh, I knew this one. It's like, uh, it's like when your eyes bug out. <laughs> yeah, kind of. It's, it is, a it's a huge, this is one of those umbrellas for many symptoms because it could be a yeah. stroke. It could be a uh, hemorrhage. It, like an internal, most likely a brain hemorrhage. It could even be uh, epilepsy. So wow, okay. that's a lot of different things with, that would require a lot of different modes of treatment. So there's African consumption, consumption, or this is spelled P-H-T-H-I-S-I-S. -I -S, so phthisis, phthisis, phthisis. Uh, tuberculosis. You got it. Then there's chin cough, whooping cough, or crookhusten. No, it'd be crookhusten. Oh, that's for uh, it's for whooping cough. What, what it's is called pertussis. Pertussis. And I'll go you. into like why we call these things different things now uh, later on. But what about bad blood or French disease? I don't know. Uh, leukemia. Syphilis. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> and French disease. Uh, I don't know if this was the intent of this specific naming of this disease, but it was not uncommon to name diseases after uh, people who were intended to be sort of moderately insulting or blaming them for a disease or disorder. It's a big part of so what... So they blame the French for syphilis? Yeah. That's awful. 
a big reason why the Spanish flu of 1918 was called that was not because it was particularly bad in Spain, but because Spain had massive reporting early on for, and, and was very open about their public health statistics for that flu infection. And they were one of the very few countries to do that early on in the uh, epi- or pandemic of the Spanish flu. And so it got called the Spanish flu because it was assumed that it came from Spain when they were really just the ones that were reporting on it early on, accurately and honestly. Bladder in the throat. What's that? Strap throat? Diphtheria. Gross. Right. <laughs> Uh, bone shave. Oh. That's... Oh. Yeah. I don't know. That sounds awful. Yeah, some of these sound really horrible. It's sciatica. Oh. Well, which is yeah. Which is tough, but it's not... I mean, it's tough, but it's not bone shave. Yeah. Uh, what about a commotion? What, what, what's wrong with you if you have a commotion? All I keep thinking is, come on, baby, do the commotion. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to guess diarrhea again. It's a concussion. Oh. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Then there's dry bellyache. What's a dry bellyache? It sounds like what it is. It's a bellyache where you're not puking. Lead poisoning. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Here's one that will fit with a lot of the guesses you've been having. Uh, Flux. What would a flux be? Oh, diarrhea. Expelling (laughs) liquids from orifices. uh, Oh, okay. Yeah, so I finally got that one. (laughs) It was very common to call, uh, what is it called? Dysentery, the bloody flux. Oh, God. Uh, Yeah. Uh, What about a grocer's itch? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Scabies. Close, yes, actually, a rash caused by flower mites. Ew. <laughs> uh, hydrophobia. Uh, rabies. Yep. What about gleet? Gleet? Yeah, it sounds made up, doesn't it? G L E E T. Oh no! So when I was in uh, middle school, when boys who were disgusting would like make their they're like pull their tongue back and make their like saliva come out mm-hmm. like in fountains that was called gleating yeah uh that's not what it is though it's gonorrhea <laughs> but so one of the symptoms of gonorrhea is uh exploding pustules so it may be a reference to gonorrhea to shoot spit out of the uh salivary glands under your tongue like the exploding pustules of gonorrhea. That's disgusting. I'm just and guessing. It makes me feel pukey. <laughs> I'm just guessing. <laughs> what about a social disease? What's a social disease? A social disease, probably an STD. Exactly. <laughs> a lot. Uh, several of these I've learned about from musicals. Uh, West Side Story mentions social diseases, and Guys and Dolls mentions La Grip. Uh, So, yeah. Uh, What about nostalgia? Nostalgia? Mm -hmm. Or nostalgia? Nostalgia. Nostalgia is homesickness or uh, depression. Exactly. Uh, What about a rose cold? R-O-S-E, cold. A rose cold. 
It's probably like pneumonia. Seasonal allergies. Oh. <laughs> Isn't that cute? It makes sense. I think that one's kind of cute. It is cute. Uh, screws. Oh, no. Probably arthritis. Per very Rheumatism. Yep. Okay, yeah. So you could have screws and bone shave and a commotion all at once. Oh, my gosh. Uh, so one of these, uh, I'm just going to say, is the miasma, which was considered the source of most disease for a very long time. And if you read old public health publications or old treatises on illness or even just old literature, people will talk about miasma, which are poisonous vapors in the air. And so bad air, I think I talk about this, which one did I talk about this in? Plague fashion. I talk about bad air and trying to escape yeah. the bad air and having the prairie cure of the good air. Uh, it was blamed for an awful lot of things uh, for an, a long time. And I mean, there are reasons that air quality can negatively impact your health, but miasma does not cause... Uh, say, scrumpox, or <laughs> <laughs> scrumpox, or uh, stranger's fever. Stranger's fever. Yeah. So scrumpox is impetigo, so it's a, a skin rash, and then stranger's fever would be typhus. Oh, okay. Uh, what's a scrivener's palsy? A scrivener's palsy is probably cerebral palsy. It's a writer's cramp. The writer's cramp. <laughs> oh well, that makes sense. Okay. It's probably it, also it like carpal tunnel. So, it makes it sound so serious. Yeah. So some of these are sort of very whimsical, like rose cold, or very serious, like bone shave or scrivener's palsy, or they sound really like cute, like stranger's fever. What's that? Typhus. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> or this is one. So this is a weird one that I bet you won't guess, but why not? I'll ask you. Slows. S-L-O-E-S. Slows. Oh, gosh. I don't know. That's, is it like pneumonia or something like that? It's called milk sickness. And it's a condition of cattle and sheep in the Western U.S. This is a definition that I'm quoting. In the Western U.S., caused by eating white snake root, which contains a toxic alcohol, it sometimes occurs in humans who have eaten meat or dairy products from affected animals. Oh. So, That's not nice. No, it's not nice. Uh, less of a problem now. Yeah, because generally animals are watched what they eat if they're their uh, milk is going out to the public. Mm -hmm. And plus we homogenize everything. Yeah. Uh, what about swamp sickness? Ugh, swamp sickness. Sounds like it would probably be some kind of thing you would catch in the swamp. What can you catch in the swamp? Oh, so many uh, things. So cholera? It is not cholera. That's one of the few things this does not reference. So swamp sickness is one of those umbrella terms. Malaria, typhus, or encephalitis. So it's a, multiple things you can get from either poor sanitation or mosquitoes. Mm. It should be. It should include cholera and yellow fever, but it doesn't. At least not per my sources. It, it could have been just about anything you'd get in a swamp, really. <laughs> uh, what about trench mouth? 
Oh, God. Trench mouth is when you have a yeast infection of the mouth, right? Uh, it's gum ulcers from malnutrition. Oh. But oh. I would bet money that a thrush or a yeast infection of the mouth would also fit in there. Yeah. Uh, what about a worm fit? Ugh, I don't know. It's convulsions associated with either teething or worms or elevated temperature or diarrhea. So it's febrile seizures or seizures from, I guess, teething or a parasitic infection or diarrhea. So, yeah, it's a lot of things. Gross. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Blackwater fever. Blackwater fever is probably something like malaria. It is. This one's one of the symptom ones. So it's actually darkened urine from a high fever because your kidneys are being oh, damaged. And so you, okay. you have blood in your urine. But that's a symptom. That's not. You have a fever. It's causing kidney damage. You don't have a fever because you have blackwater fever. You have a fever for another reason. Yeah. Uh, this one has a bunch of different names and probably more than just these few uh, that I'm going to say. Breakbone. Break heart, dandy fever, or front street fever. Dandy fever. Mm -hmm. Dandy fever. Is it an STD? It's dengue <laughs> fever. Oh, okay. Which is a very serious disease that we don't. Yes, it is. Have we don't deal with as much in the United States anymore, largely because of uh, mosquito control preventions. And then probably also animal vaccinations, but I'm not sure. What about something like Bronze John or American Fever? Bronze John? Mm-hmm. That sounds quite racist, Bronze John. I know. I wonder. Uh, I'm going to say something like Yellow Fever. You're correct. Like Good guess. Okay. Well, I took the racism aspect and, and thought about it, and I figured... <laughs> That I, I extrapolated from there. You pieced it together. Good work. Yeah. <laughs> from all the bigotry, you got it. <laughs> uh, and yellow fever still sometimes occurs in the United States, but again, mosquito control has gone a long way toward it not being as big a thing. Thank goodness. Uh, what about something like the king's eagle, evil or scrofula? Oh, you told me what scrofula was. It, it's like a cough, isn't it? It is a, it's, it is a glandular tuberculosis. Oh. So it's not the like cough consumption, whatever, tuberculosis. It's, it's less serious. It looks worse. You don't get the nice pale skin and the flushed cheeks and looking like a dying poet. You don't get the sort of romantic look to you. You have like big swollen glands, but... You're much more likely to survive it, and you're less likely to contract the other tuberculosis. So, mm. it's gross but useful. Not uncommon in milkmaids. Oh, interesting. And so, milkmaids have been notoriously throughout history uh, sort of a, an inception point for natural inoculation to more serious diseases because of... I was going to say that. Like, we can thank milkmaids for not having smallpox now. Exactly. Between cowpox and scrofula. <laughs> they had a tough time, but they had an easier time than people who got smallpox or tuberculosis. 
Yeah, it's so fascinating. Like they uh, they were figuring out that they weren't getting sick, and they were trying to figure out why. Exactly, and it, it's all of them had gotten cow packs when they were really young. It's similar with scrofula in that it was common. It's common in association with milkmaids because things like uh, tuberculosis, this form of tuberculosis, are common. Uh, Stuff You Missed in History Class did a great episode on the king's evil. Highly recommend. Huh. Uh, so I'll kind of wrap this up because there's a lot of... There's so many of these. The the websites that I found, it's just a list. It's just a list that you scroll and scroll and scroll of name, weird names for things. <laughs> uh, like, what's decrepitude? Oh, it's uh, when you get old and exactly. you get all... You get dementia. Yeah, basically. it's old age. Yeah. Which was considered a disease. Uh, cr- <laughs> crop sickness. Crop sickness? Like your crop? Yeah. Like if you were a bird? Yeah. So it's an overextended stomach. So you just ate too much. Oh, yeah. Or yeah. you have some kind of, you know, liver issue where your liver's swollen. You know, it's a symptom type thing. Yeah. Uh, what about dumb, dumb fever? <laughs> Ate too many lollipops from the bank. (laughs) It's leishmaniasis. Ew. Mm -hmm. What about what about eel thing or Saint Elmo's fire? Oh, that's a good '80s movie. (laughs) (laughs) And the Saint Elmo's fire, there is a sort of maritime phenomenon of seeing flashes of green light. And that's what the St. Elmo's fire was that the bar was named after that the movie was named yes. after. But yes. this is not that. This is this is a different St. Elmo's fire. <laughs> just, I'm just guessing uh, they didn't name a bar after this. Uh, when you eat too much spicy food and it's spicy on the way out. It's, <laughs> it's a skin rash. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what about wool sorters disease? Wool sorters disease? Mm-hmm. It sounds like a disease that you would get if you kept sheep and you and you carded wool. I don't know, like eczema or something like that. It's anthrax. Oh well, see, I should have I should have extrapolated sheep to anthrax. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and then the last one I have is undulant fever, which I think is just a pretty name. Uh, seizures? Epilepsy? It's brucellosis, which is a common disease in cows. But just undulant fever. Just undulant. So why did we have all these names? And my list is even longer. You can see on our website in the show notes. I just don't want to spend 45 minutes <laughs> making Sarah guess <laughs> It's silly things. I mean, I'm having fun, and I'm sure other people are having fun and realizing that I have a lot of potty humor, considering I said diarrhea 16 times. Well, it's but... not irrational to guess, but <laughs> several of these were diarrhea. Or it was really strange things that have nothing to do with what they're called. What's a dry bellyache? Why is lead poisoning called a dry bellyache? Anyway. Uh, I don't know, because it really lead poisoning, it can make all horrible things happen to you. Exactly. So, why did so many of these change? Uh, standardization of Western medical care and then medical terminology. 
So the use of prefixes and suffixes in either Greek or Latin are an attempt to describe main symptoms in most of these diseases. Although naming a disease or disorder after the discoverer also happens. And so it's not a hard and fast rule that the Latin or Greek prefix suffix standardization is utilized for everything that is a disease or disorder. There's so many. But it is something where medical care, you know, at the time that a lot of these diseases were named, washing your hands was considered a waste of time and water. So <laughs> things have changed <laughs> just a little okay. bit. Goodness. You know, there's a pandemic on and we all have to wear masks just like 100 years ago. But we know better to wash our hands now. That wasn't something that doctors necessarily did all the time. So, that's outmoded diseases and where they went. Their names got changed so that people could know better what they were talking about because as Sarah just went through and guessed, you guessed several of those correctly, but it might have been because you already knew what they were referring to. It's difficult to know what they're referring to based on the name. Wool sorting yeah, disease. Yeah, definitely. Unless you know something about wool sorting, <laughs> then why would you know that anthrax is associated with it? And it can be important yeah. for a doctor to know or a person to know. Interesting. I feel like I didn't get very many correct, but I found the whole thing fascinating. And the only reason I know some of the ones that I did was because I used to read constantly before, before you could like read everything on the internet. Basically I read, I read books constantly when I was a kid. So I read all kinds of classics. And so I would like consumption was one that I read a lot. So I knew what that was. Yeah, and like I said, I knew what social disease and La Grippe were because of musicals. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> so it's something that you either pick up contextually or you can't pick up contextually because the name doesn't make, it doesn't tell you an awful lot about what's going on. Right. So what are you talking about today, Sarah? I'm talking about Sin Eaters. Yes! <laughs> I'm so excited! Well, I hope I live up to your excitement. <laughs> so I came across this really weird article um, from BBC News from like 2010 about um, a a town, Shropshire, England, coming together and raising money to restore the grave of the last known sin eater, Richard Munslow. And I was like, what in the world was a sin eater? It sounds like something out of a horror movie, like, it, or a zombie ap apocalypse kind of happening. Like, what is a sin eater? So, I, I dug a little bit deeper because I found the whole thing fascinating and that this whole town came together to celebrate and have this, this ceremony for this guy who died in 1906. And like 104 years later, they decided to have a ceremony for him because he was the last known sin eater. But sin eating, it turns out, is a pretty old custom. Um, as, far, as far back as we know, it goes all the way to Mesoamerica. So it's actually crossed, it's common in a lot of different pre-Christian cultures in various ways where it's basically some kind of ritual sacrifice 
or breaking of bread occurs and a person or an animal takes on the sins of either a deceased person or of a people and that and that animal or that person is either sacrificed or or something else it, they're not always sacrificed and if this sounds familiar uh, and you happen to be in the Western world and happen to have grown up in a Judeo-Christian tradition, uh, you'd be correct because Jesus of Nazareth, a.k.a. Jesus Christ, uh, is regarded as a, as a type of sin eater. So the Last Supper and the subsequent death of Jesus at the hands of the Roman Empire afterwards is regarded in Christian canon as Jesus taking on our sins and being sacrificed for them. So the Eucharist and the communion practice that might happen in the Catholic Church and some Protestant churches is pretty commemorative of Jesus taking on the sins of the people and then being sacrificed, which I had never really thought about that way. Like, I was raised Catholic, but I had never kind of thought about uh, the meta definition of sin eating as it includes Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of interesting for me to kind of wrap my mind that way. So in 18th and 19th century Wales, the practice of sin eating was more common, but the sin eaters weren't sacrificed, thank goodness. They were often really poor people who would be hired by families to eat bread and drink beer that had been waved over or placed on the corpse of the dead people, and then they would eat the bread and drink the beer after, supposedly taking on the sins of that person's life so that they could get into heaven easier. And if you think that smacks of taking advantage of the poor, in my opinion, you're probably correct, because uh, these people were very poor, often that the sin eaters were. They were so poor that um, taking on the sins of the deceased at the cost of their immortal souls was worth it just so they could eat and maybe make a couple dollars that day. So the sin eaters in some places would also sit and listen to the sins of the family members as they grieved as well, uh, replacing the role of the priest, uh, which of course was considered hearsay and the church did not like it, but in some parishes, obviously in Wales, like it was they could, the church kind of looked the other way. Mm -hmm. It apparently did not pay well, but the person, the sin eater, at least got a meal. Um, yeah. Yeah. The sin eaters themselves were outcasts. Like, they were looked down upon because they basically traded their immortal soul uh, just for some bread and a couple of dollars. So it was believed that Sin Eater, the more and more sins he ate, the more horrible he got inside, the, the darker the sins in his, in his soul became. So the he was basically outcast. They didn't really want, the village didn't really want anything to do with him, and he would, but he was expected to be at the funerals and wakes of deceased people. So the church didn't approve of this pack of uh, the practice like I said it goes against the teaching of the church and when I say church I mean the Christian church. Uh, they the church believed that Jesus was the only sin eater, uh, the only savior of sins. So the sin eater taking the place of the priest in the funeral proceedings where the priest was normally the one who ushered the soul to heaven using prayer and counseled the loved ones was not 
very didn't make the church very happy that it happened so it's probably one of the big reasons it died out was it was regarded um, back in the 1600s and before the 18th and 19th centuries in some places it was regarded as black magic basically mm-hmm. and uh, kind of a form of witchcraft even though people were using it so before the 18th and 19th century the 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 practice, like I said, was had pre-Christian roots, and there was even mentioned um, an ancient Jewish tradition of using a goat as a saint, sin eater and setting the goat free. Um, but that seems to, they don't do that anymore, obviously. But then there's a lot of other stories in mythology of basically a a god or a person dying for the sins of other people and then like i said jesus christ and so it's just kind of moved through the centuries and kind of that's probably where it came from and people just continued their pre-christian beliefs and then just tacked on catholicism and christianity on top of it it did survive up into the 18th and 19th centuries in wales and it even made it over to the states in appalachia which i found interesting Mm -hmm. it came over with some immigrants and there's i guess a few legends of uh sin eaters traveling around nomadically uh trying to make some money and and get some meals for the practice of sin eating but i've never heard of it outside of there and i've never it's not practiced today at all as far as i know so it died out uh with richard munslow who i was mentioning earlier um he was truly the last known sin eater. Uh, he was actually not poor either, which I found interesting. He was actually like well regarded and he was a pretty successful farmer in the village that he lived in. Um, he started sin eating to help people grieve their lost loved ones. So he, he did it purely out of his own sadness uh, because he lost three of his children within one week of each other. Oh my God. Yeah, so he took up the practice to help him grieve and to help his neighbors grieve. So he was, so I think this is a lot of why he was uh, celebrated and there was a ceremony for him besides the fact that this is something that was an odd custom that that died out and people were interested in it a hundred years later. But it seems to have died out with him in 1906. And the town of Shropshire, like I said, they had a ceremony for him, and they talked about sin eating, and um, he they restored his grave. It, it, it's a fascinating custom, and I had never heard of it. I guess there's been, like, horror movies that have, like, the sin eater, or there was a horror show that was on, and there was, like, Sins of the Fathers was the name of it. I didn't watch it because I couldn't find it, but it's basically the sin eater becomes darker and darker and darker and eventually becomes, like, this ghoul thing. Mm-hmm. It's from the stories that I've read, um, which seems to be kind of similar to what other people have thought thought at the time about sin eaters. It was fascinating. So they, they went away. It was looked down upon. It doesn't happen anymore. But it was a thing. It was a job that people did, sin eating, taking on the sins of others. Yeah, it was referenced in the book Bell Pratter's Boy. Oh, interesting. I don't know if you're familiar with that book. That book is overall just 
it's beautifully written and it's just heartbreaking. And there is a Sin Eater character and it's a black man in the southeastern United States. And he's, I believe he's blind. And it, it, the Sin Eater part stuck out to me particularly. And this is in a book of like suicide and insanity and all sorts of stuff. So it's not like it's a book where nothing happens and then there's a Sin Eater. He just stuck out to me. And it's just heartbreaking because this man truly thinks he's going to hell. But he's starving. And oh, it's just tough. That's a tough book. It's a beautiful book. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you, if uh, you, sin was a thing. Like, people were worried about their immortal souls back when this was happening. And it's, it's very true. I'm sure these people um, thought it over. Mm-hmm. At least some of them, and not starving today is better than, you know, going to hell later because they'll deal with that later. They'd rather eat. Or there was just an assumption of, I'm already going. I might as well not starve today. That's very true. Very true. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? Yeah. So to me, it it pretty it smacked of taking advantage of the poor. Yes. Because a lot of the people were who were paying for this were obviously more well off, and the person who was on the fringes of society was the one who was, you know, hungry and poor, and they wanted to at least eat for the day. Uh, go ahead. Oh, I just sniffed. <laughs> Sorry. <No. laughs> I have a bit of a rose cold today. Oh, you have a rose cold. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, sin eaters, one of those strange customs uh, that has its roots in pre-Christian, pre-Christian cultures. In the number of times I have read Bell Pratter's Boy, I have never associated sin eating with Jesus until you just like drew, you know, you knew, drew, you painted the picture for me. So it's something I've known about forever, and it has never occurred to me that Jesus was a sin eater. So thank you for that. It's very interesting. Yeah, so I, I hadn't really thought about it either, but when I was reading when I was reading about sin eating, like it had crossed my mind. And then when I was reading uh, a couple of articles, they mentioned Jesus as a sin eater. And I was like, well, yeah, I guess so. Mm-hmm. Because... Uh, Emily and I are both, uh, uh, were raised Catholic. And so in the Catholic church, before you have mass on Sunday and take communion, you are supposed to go to confession and in confession, you're supposed to confess your sins to the priest. So you're clean on Sunday. So you can take the communion, which is a commemoration of the last supper before Jesus died for the sins of the world. And I was thinking about all of this and I was like, how is that? Of course, this is sin eating. This is commemoration of the sin eating of Jesus. Mm-hmm. How fascinating. I had never really placed it together. And I knew of different uh, stories within pre-Christian cultures of sacrifices that occurred so that people could live and of course there's the sacrifices if you've angered the gods you know the the stories that we hear anger the gods you need a sacrifice so that um you can have a good harvest Mm -hmm. i had never thought of it in that terms and it was fascinating to me yeah that's what it is Mm -hmm. so yeah doesn't happen anymore really as far as we know (laughs) well and you gotta i it makes me want to think about different ways that we 
sort of have commuted that drive because if it's if it's post or if it's like showing up in Mesoamerica, that's a very it's probably a universal concept of some variety. Mm-hmm. So what do we do to absolve our sins? <laughs> Go to therapy? Or therapists yeah, I mean, I... sin eaters? I don't know. You know, I've heard this, I've heard that before. I've heard um, of, I've heard of therapists uh, comparing themselves to sin eaters, but I had never intellectualized it. I just kind of ignored it. Mm -hmm. And then I thought about it and I was like, yeah, I guess so. They, they kind of absorb our, 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 well, our, our thoughts and our darker thoughts and we talk to them about them so that we can be absolved and, and kind of absolved. I I'm using quotes absolved and live our lives again and heal. It's interesting. It's really interesting. I'm going to think about that all week. I think (laughs) how do we do it? Exercise CrossFit. Yes. There's so much personal trainers, so much ritualism Oh gosh, this is this is like one of my nerdery, like geekery things, like like to think about and geek out about. It is like is about food and ritual and punishment. Well, like, and how I, churchy. I, <laughs> I'm probably gonna yes! cut this part out, but how churchy CrossFit is. Is it? I've never been to CrossFit, but the people that do CrossFit, like the people that are into CrossFit, they are like part of the Church of CrossFit. Oh yeah. <laughs> and they're always like, come to CrossFit. They're like evangelizing for CrossFit, from what I remember, when you can actually go to uh, gyms. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'm, I wonder if... I, and that's more, that is more maybe like a ritual cleansing through pain. Yeah. So like scourging yourself versus having someone else eat your sins therapy would be sin eating because I was thinking of also like the protestant work ethic of like if you aren't making money and you aren't doing things you aren't productive then you aren't a person but that's more of a scourging and than anything else yeah and I hope you don't cut this out because this is actually okay, very interesting. <laughs> it's a very interesting discussion because I I think about the Protestant work ethic very frequently, and I I personally don't believe that there there are any garbage people. Like everybody has some kind of value, obviously, mm-hmm. whether it's good or bad. We all learn from them. This is my own personal philosophy, but. I find the Protestant work ethic and how it exists in the United States so fascinating because there are so many swaths of people who do jobs that are definitely worthwhile. And of course, there are people staying home with their children. There are people who are, you know, doing things where, you know, maybe they're keeping house or maybe they're taking care of their their relatives, but they are regarded as garbage people. Like they don't, they, they're not regarded as productive. They're not making money. So therefore they're worthless. And I find a lot of those people have self-esteem issues because of it. 
Like if I talk to people who have stayed at home and I myself, when I've been unemployed for a period of time, I just have self-esteem issues because I feel like I'm not productive, even though I might be growing plants. I might be, you know, I, I volunteered every day when I was unemployed and helped feed people who were hungry, but I still felt unproductive. It's just fascinating how money and sins and punishment and value are all related to each other. It just fascinates me. Yep. (laughs) Okay, I won't cut this out. (laughs) But I agree with you on pretty much all points of like reflection of worth is a very common it's it's very common to sort of transubstantiate our worth based on what we're doing, what we have done, what we hope to do. And right. usually in the context of material goods and material gain. And it's not necessarily a reflection of reality. Absolutely not. There is real work in taking care of other people. Like, absolutely. There's work and worth and value in that. And it's just not valued because it doesn't have any kind of monetary worth to people unless they actually sit down and think about, like, how much would it cost to take care of three children uh, for every single day if you sent them to a daycare? A lot of freaking money. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) So when I I hear about, like... uh, Nordic countries actually paying people to stay home with their kids and how much value they place on it. It's interesting how much money they give people per year to stay home with their kids. It's like in Germany, right after you have a baby, you're you're generally paid for your maternity leave. Like you're paid a certain amount of money because they want people to have kids. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, I think there's a lot that's tied up in Countries that do that and what they value and countries that don't do that and what they value. And I think that's getting a little outside of the box of sin eating. (laughs) Well, yeah, of course it is. But when you think of when you mentioned in your book, the Bell Prater's boy about the sin eater being black and blind, of of course, uh, in that context, he would be a sin eater because uh, the sin eaters were generally poor. They were outcast people. They were people who were looked down upon maybe because they were poor or because some other reason, maybe they were disabled. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it it totally makes sense to me that sin eating would be by someone who is regarded as a lower class or on the outcast level because they have to absorb the sins of people. And if you think about it, the poor the poor of this country, the poor of any other country, they absorb the sins of society, like with pollution. They're more likely to be affected by pollution. They're more likely to have diseases. In COVID-19 cases, they're more likely to have serious problems from COVID-19. It's just interesting when we can, like, put sin eating and, like, think about it in a meta way about onto like the poor in general and absorbing the sins of the wealthier classes. But that's a whole other like (laughs) discussion maybe. Well, no, but I I mean, that's a place where we do have our sins 
eaten. If you look at like meat processing and what's Absolutely. happening in meat processing plants in terms of worker safety and in terms of even, you know, within the context of COVID-19, the, the infection rates in meat processing plants are bananas. Absolutely. And most of those people, from what I have read, are of Latino, Hispanic, or Mexican descent. And it's so also... So they're people who are already... So people who are already on the lower rungs of white society uh, are already on the lower rungs of society because they're poor, because they're immigrants, because, you know, they are brown people. Also, uh, people that would be considered uh, mentally handicapped are often capable. I mean, the work is simple enough in a lot of meat processing plants that they can functionally do it without much supervision, but that makes them vulnerable to exploitation in terms of lower pay rates. It makes them vulnerable to disease, obviously, physical damage mm-hmm. from repetitive and unsafe work. Absolutely. So sin eating. There's a whole, like, there's a whole discussion. It's interesting. I'm just, I'm trying to, like, wrap up my thoughts, but I can't. I'm just, I'm just fascinating with sin eating in general and sin eating as a practice and sin eating in the, in the wider world of the, the poor and the, and the, uh, and other people just kind of absorbing the sins of the, of the higher classes, of the richer people. Of white people. Yep. It's fascinating. It is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's why I was so excited you were covering it. I didn't know much about the origin, so now I do. Yay! That's another universal concept to add to the list. We've got revenants, we've got sin eaters, we've got uh, shapeshifters, we've got giants. What else? Giants. Yeah, because I did where Bigfoot goes, and right. giants are a universal concept. And uh, I've read that some of that is because people would find the skulls of mammoths and think this was a giant person. Interesting. I've read that that's where they think some of mm-hmm. the, the, the giant mythology has come from. I mean, it makes some sense. You find a, a fossil of a dinosaur, you think there's dragons. Like, it's... It's a rational conclusion yeah. to come to when you don't have carbon dating and anything else. You just got you got a skull and you're like, that's a that's a big guy there. <laughs> yeah, you've got a skull and you at the time when these stories were popular, they had no idea. They had no idea how old the earth was. I mean, they just knew if it was Christian times, they just knew, like, how old the church said that the world was, like, because they had the Old Testament and all the begats, and then, you know, what was it, like, 6,000 years old? Yeah, that, like, that pope or whoever did that, did that goofy math, and at the time they had gotten (laughs) it, it was around 6,000 years. Yeah, and so, you know, you'd think, if I found a, the skull of a giant lizard, I'd be like... That is a dragon. <laughs> yep. I don't see those anymore, and I hope they don't exist. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to make up some stories and draw some paintings. Were you the one that told me that some people think that pterodactyls exist? Yes. <laughs> How 
terrifying to have pterodactyls flying around. So to explain to the audience why I told Sarah this, uh, I believe I was listening to last podcast on the left and they have on Thursdays uh, what's called side stories where they two of the hosts from the regular Friday release last podcast talk about stories they're sent by their audience and things like that. And one thing that has been noted since the sort of sequestration that people have been doing for COVID-19 is an increase in pterodactyl sightings. And (laughs) you'll notice an increase, meaning there were previous pterodactyl sightings. And my husband and I were very bemused. It didn't make a lot of sense to us why people would think they were seeing pterodactyls until a heron flew over our property really close to us. And it occurred to me, people are almost certainly seeing herons. And because of the change in air traffic and in how people are dealing with their lawns and landscaping and livestock, and whether or not they're keeping livestock, there are probably an in, either an increase in herons or a change in how herons are interacting with uh, populated areas, human populated areas. And they look like pteranodons. Like they've got the big long neck and then they they ratchet their head back and they've got huge beaks and they've got massive wingspans and their wings are very stiff so they look sort of intact and leathery instead of being feathered like, say, a vulture's wing, which you can see the separate feathers as they soar. So my, my theory is herons, but apparently North Carolina in the pterodactyl sighting world is known as a pterodactyl hotspot. What? And I, the only reason I'm laughing is because pteranodons were, a lot of them were so big, there's no way you could hide one. You could hide a Sasquatch in 100 acres of woods, one or two Sasquatches. You could do it. They're brown and they look like, you know, lumps. You're not going to hide a pteranodon. You're not going to hide a nesting pteranodon. You're not going to hide a whole one. You're not. So, that's a thing. I mean, they're as big as, as big as like, uh, planes. They're as big as, like, little Cessnas. Like, yeah. they are not small. They are not the size of herons. And uh, here's my theory. It's probably herons, but it's also, I've heard... People who are at home uh, are using a lot more drugs. Oh, yeah. They're using, they're using a lot more, uh, they're smoking a lot more marijuana. I have no problem with that. There's people who are, you know, taking mushrooms. I just Do read it. this. I just read this story the other day of how this person just took mushrooms for the first time because he's got nothing else to do. Yeah. So he's, just, he's been taking mushrooms. So, yeah. So maybe that's it, too. Mushrooms, herons, the wood that we are like the woods are always encroaching in North Carolina. It's like the woods want to grow. Oh yeah. If you leave land alone, it'll just grow trees like immediately. Yep, exactly. The the loblolly pines are tenacious, and they will take over. Yes. So. Pteranodons. Where'd the pteranodons go? They died, okay? (laughs) They died. They're gone. They're not here. They are deceased. My friend friend who is on mushrooms, do not worry. It's a heron. (laughs) 
don't have a bad trip. Yeah, just <laughs> they're there. They don't want anything to do with you. Don't worry about it. <laughs> they just want some fish. Exactly. And you want to listen to the band fish. You are not the same. <laughs> it's okay. I think that's enough bad jokes on my part. Okay. Uh, you can find us at where does it podcast at gmail.com if you have questions, concerns, or pterodactyl sightings. Uh, <laughs> please tell us. Yeah, please do. Like, we could be wrong. I am I am willing to hear you out because, honestly, I'm not trying to prove you wrong. I'm just saying what I've seen. And I have not seen any pterodactyls. <laughs> and by the way, she lives out in the country, so I'm just saying. I've spent a huge amount anyone- of time in the woods. If anyone was going to see a pterodactyl, it would be Emily. <laughs> yeah, or my coworkers. Like, it would be the thing of legend right. in Durham County if we had seen a pterodactyl. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway. Where does it, uh, where does podcast.com? We also have a Patreon. You can listen to our podcast. We've got lots of episodes about lots of things. I think this is our 60th episode. Holy, holy canasta. Yay. Holy pteranodons. Holy pteranodons. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Bye.